Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Hello Lucy, it seems like ages since we've talked to each other. What's going on? I know. I don't know. Did I offend you one day or something or what? I don't know. I think it's been about two weeks since we've actually seen each other face to face on the podcast. I know that the last uh, couple of podcasts, we've done two in our own gardens. And I hope if you haven't heard those, please go back and listen to them. Lucy's was particularly lovely. She was going around all of the fruits Yours was lovely too. So I wasn't fishing for that, but well done. Uh, and we had a really nice interview uh, with Anne Swithenbank as well. And Anne was uh, a delightful person to have on, wasn't she? Oh, so, so nice. You see, I love Anne's voice. She's just so cheerful and she's got this really kind of like naughty giggle. Yes. And you just get these little snippets of her personality that come out and you think, actually, she's got, she's probably got quite a lot of good stories to tell down the pub. So, Well, just hearing <laughs> that Anne. she lived uh, in those buildings at Wisley makes me think all kinds of things must have got on. Back in the day. Oh. Anyway. Look at your eyebrows going up and down there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we've got lots of bonus. Well, we've got we've got eight, I should say, not lots. We've got eight bonus interviews now on the podcast in total. So if you've just joined us as a, as a, a, a new listener, please do go mm. back into our back catalogue because we've got some cracking interviews with some really famous people like Adam Frost uh, and Toby Buckland, but also some really nice interviews with the like of Matt Oliver from Hyde Hall and Tom Brown at West Dean. And, you know, so Mm. far this uh, sort of lockdown, not lockdown now, it's been really nice to chat to uh, the wider group of people and just get a feeling for how they've coped during the lockdown and how they're feeling now and just hear about their stories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had a quick chat with Toby Buckland on Twitter the other day. He was saying how he, you know, didn't realise that this would be going on for so long. And I said, neither did I. You know, I think maybe there's a, quite a few of us out here who are now thinking, well, you know, it's it, we are where we are at the minute and we got to crack on. I know you've been doing your um, your Zoom uh, talks. I've been asked to do a Zoom talk myself today. So I'm, that's, that's you know, on the horizon for, for many uh, horticulturists out there, I guess, and how the, the clubs and societies are going to move forward. Yeah, I've got to say the Zoom. Um, so I did a tour of my garden at home using my mobile and a pair of headphones, just walking around the garden, showing people off what's going on. And 
part of me was thinking people aren't really going to enjoy this this is not going to be the way people want to visit gardens but actually i got really great feedback and and i think for a lot of people and especially uh, the older demographic which most of our societies are composed of it's actually a nice way for them to still keep connected with each other and also keep connected yeah. with horticulture and be able to see what's going on i know a lot of them have missed a lot of the season visiting gardens so for some of them just to get out and see what's flowering and what's doing well in august was a great joy to them so i'm definitely going to be continuing doing a few more tours of the garden and and, and hopefully a few talks over zoom and suppose it may become a regular part of my uh talks arsenal i i definitely want to get back to doing talks in person there's nothing like having a, a live audience to feed off but the UK is a big place. I can't get everywhere, especially in one day at driving. So actually, this may become part of how I can spread myself a bit wider yeah. in the UK to do talks. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's def- there's there's advantages to doing things via, like you say, via social media, and that you can reach a bigger audience, which is great for everybody. If you've got content that's people want to listen to and 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 share and get a community going, which I think is probably what we're all yearning for now, is to get that community spirit back up and running. Then, mm, then absolutely. this is the way to do it, isn't it? So, so anyhow, t- t- tonight we are going to talk about a topic that um, has got. Has it got anything to do? Can we link this in sometime to what we were talking about? Not really. It's <laughs> no. Trying. Are you trying to um, find a link? Hang on. I am. I know. Tufty McTavish, she was on Twitter, one of our lovely social media um, yes. people who, who we interact with quite regularly and has, has, has kept me smiling throughout these, these uh, more socially distanced times, uh, had a question for us um, about a week or maybe even two weeks ago now. And we yeah. promised at the time that we would cover it as a podcast topic and it was a question about why plants are given certain names such as you know the the species or a variety why is there this uh this naming system in horticulture so we thought tonight that would be a really good topic to talk about and explain the the theory behind it and and uh, go back to our days when probably you and, and i went into um taxonomy lectures back in the day yep. when I, I did mine at, at why I had a whole whole um section on 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 taxonomy and I guess at Q you probably did the same as well so we were we were looking a bit younger in those days short trousers you know <laughs> you know iron shirts looking yeah. very attentive to the teacher I know I know oh goodness I remember it well but but yeah so so that is what we're going to discuss tonight so why are plants given the names they are so so shall i begin and you fill in the gaps because it's quite a complicated topic there's a lot of i think the word complicated is is right (laughs) it is it is a very complex set of weird rules isn't it that we've we've established for ourselves in horticulture but it does work and it does help us as gardeners and as scientists etc to be able to identify things exactly exactly that is essentially at tufty so 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 why plants are given certain names is to to know with absolute certainty that you're looking at the plant that say someone in australia looking at this is looking at the same plant given exactly the same name so that is why you have this universal language of um plant nomenclature is what we call it and uh, and taxonomy is the is the over overriding discipline in in which nomenclature falls so um 
If you imagine, let's cast our, our minds back. Well, I say our minds, we weren't alive then, but people like Aristotle would go and collect plants. This is going way, way back. That is, before. That's this a is long B- way. I've gone BC here, so all of a sudden. And, 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 what, and people were very interested in plants and they were collecting samples and, you know, trying to identify and name them in some system that was easy to understand and that everybody would use and it just didn't happen there there was a lot of uh competing uh systems for naming plants and so for a long long time it was a very difficult thing to uh have some kind of uniformity on there was an awful lot of plant collecting going on in the 1300s the 1400s and then going into the 1500s 1600s and and this is when i think that the horticultural collective were really trying to put together some kind of system that was more watertight so you've got plant collectors like um, joseph banks going around in the um in the 17th and 18th century and uh there were massive big plant expeditions going to different continents collecting all these samples and um because people just wanted like big sponges to 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 collect plants to be the first to identify them to be the first to name them so that you can imagine there's lots of lots of people all trying to identify, collect and name plants and put that out to the wider audience and, and ensure that everybody else was using their system. Um, it didn't really uh, have much success until a gentleman uh, um, called Carl Linnaeus in the yes, 1700s. Yes, he was a Swede. He was a Swedish chap. He was a and Swedish he was chap. A, a botanist and a plant collector. And he was um, collecting himself and being sent hundreds if not thousands if not tens of thousands of plant samples and he was attempting to identify them from all these plant expeditions uh, now this man is who we have to thank for the basis of uh, modern plant uh, taxonomy and naming today he came up with a system called binomial uh, nomenclature which basically means plants were given two names there was the mm. genus and then the species. That was the simplicity of Linnaeus's system. And it, it, was, it was using Latin. And it meant that, I don't quite know how he managed to get it out so that it was so universally recognised, but that was the key to success because everybody then followed this system. I know he wrote some, some, some books on the subject that were very widely um, read and, and respected. And, and that is, is how essentially we've come up with today that the... the the, the naming system for plants, which, as I say, is simply the, the genus and the species. That's the basis. And then we'll now talk about all the more complicated aspects of that. Yeah, I think um, I think some people still struggle with the, the genus and spe- species idea, especially when you start in horticulture. But it really is worth getting your head around because when you do, get, when you do understand it, it makes naming and remembering plants much easier i think it's the most common thing i get told all the time is how do you remember mm. all those plant names and i think about it, i think well they're just it's so natural to me to think of things as, as genus uh, and species now at the time carl linnaeus was um actually identifying and categorizing plants on basis of their morphology so what they look like mm. Uh, and for many hundred years, even till today, we still have many of our plants are based on uh, their similarities to each other and therefore they're lumped together. But um, 
while I was at Kew, they were just finishing off. Uh, now, if you thought nomenclature was hard to say, they were just finishing <laughs> off the angiophylogeny <laughs> group. Um, well done. Scientific um, categorization, which was actually based on genetics. So they were taking plants, taking their genomes, which has got a lot easier these days, and then um, classifying them together on the basis of their genetic similarity. And that did mean that a lot of plants got changed from group to group. And that's still happening to today. I know mm. a lot of people get a little bit annoyed when a plant changes from uh, one thing to another. I think um, sedum's just been changed to high hylotephany or hylotephium yeah and it's not also yeah. yeah and then aster's got a complete makeover yeah that's true yeah uh, most most recently rosemary um and yes, as you say this salvia is through now, dna sequencing rosy rosemary is now deemed part of the, the salvia mm. genus so it's now salvia rosmarinus and so but but a lot, I think a lot of gardeners will still call sedum sedum, yeah, absolutely. and they'll still call rosemary rosemary. And so this is where you get kind of like a, a little bit of grey area and confusion coming into the the topic. But if you're a, a purebred botanist, then you will now be referring to rosemary as a salvia. And 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 that's the thing. Lots of the. Um... The science behind the plant names is for the, the scientific end. It can differ slightly from the more uh, horticultural amateur gardening end. So there is a crocosmia, which is our common crocosmia, which is also known as Montbretia. And I know that my grandparents would have just called it Montbretia. And I had no idea what they were talking about when I was doing my horticultural studies because I knew it as this crocosmia. Mm. But they knew it as Montbretia. So there is still this grey area, especially on the amateur uh, sort of um, gardening end, where people do have certain names for certain plants which wouldn't be identified in science. Uh, or a, yeah. a, a pure botanist wouldn't really understand what you were talking about. But from a pure scientific point of view, the, the genus and species uh, for certain plants are are, fi are fixed. And I, I believe there is an international nomenclature board which decides. So when you do get a new plant coming into or, or someone's just discovered something, uh, I know they discover a lot of new plants in Madagascar. There was just a really great article on Papua New Guinea or, or the Guinea Island there saying there's probably about 45 new species of plant coming out there a year. And therefore... Mm. Uh, someone who is uh, studying it and writes up what we call a monotype, which is a study of the the first uh, example of that plant, usually gets the opportunities to submit a name. That'll go, uh, th I think it goes through uh, a peer review at this International Nomenclature Board, and then the name gets fixed to it. So that's why you can get new plants named after people like David Attenborough. I know they've just, uh, uh, I think they've just announced a new tree after David Attenborough. Uh, and that's how new species get introduced into the into the system so um yeah but you know from the point of view i think for for us as professionals that the binomial system is is universal and, and like you say yeah. australia japan madagascar south america everyone will use that same system so even if you can't speak their language you just point to a plant and everyone will call it by the same thing i know i've had comments from a lot of newer gardeners who really grapple with Latin. And mm. uh, I understand that completely because as you, as you say, for you and I who have been in each 20 years in horticulture and we've, we've, we've studied it at college, we've done the, the plant idents, we've written out the Latin names time and time again to get them into our brains. It's probably more familiar to us, but for a newcomer, it can be very alien. But there are certain um, clues you can look out for to help you with the, the Latin. For example, you've got something like Acer palmatum, 
So Palmatum is talking about the palmate leaf. And then you've yes. got something like, well, now not Rosmarinus, but Rosmarinus prostratus, which is talking about the prostrate growth of the rosemary. And you've got things like um, Tilia cordata. Now, cordata means heart-shaped. So you can, from if you want to get into your Latin and understand why plants are given certain names, uh, things such as um, nigra uh, is, you know, like is, is, is about black, alba, ro rosea, all those um, names are, are very useful for uh, when you're looking at the plant, often flower colour or leaf colour. Then you've got also the plant hunters. As you mentioned, you know, even these days, plants are being named after people. But back in the day, the plant hunters were very possessive of their um, new identifications that they've been doing. And so you've got things like the Banksia rose, which was Joseph Banks. You've got the Douglas fir. Uh, there's, there are lots of references to the people who actually back in centuries gone by have actually hunted out and identified these these plants so so you can get into the, the botany and the latin part of things to make it more logical for you if you're finding it bewildering then maybe just have a look at some of the the the, the you know 20 of the most common latin terms used and that will help you out i'm sure there's a great book that i had when i was a student called uh, the plant names a guide to botanical nomenclature uh, by roger spencer rob cross and peter lumley and i know that really helped me because it was a it was a quite a clear uh in english although the names are in latin but a quite a quite a clear book on why nomenclature is the way it is and giving you lots of examples and i will say for people who are a little still a little bit you know uh, frustrated by it keep going because once you really get Latin names and you understand how the families relate to each other, identifying new plants is a lot easier. And then understanding how they grow or how you would grow them at home becomes a lot easier as well. Once you understand how something is related to something else, they generally have very similar characteristics. Now, that is for the sort of wilder end, the botanical end of the market. For us as gardeners, we also have another end in nomenclature, which comes down to the cultivated plants that we grow. And that's whether they have a, a, what we call a, a hybrid name or a variety. And this is actually where it gets reasonably complicated because there's a lot of plants out there with a lot of names and identifying them can be quite tricky for example um on something that i grow a lot of as if you listen to the last podcast you know brugmansia there are roughly around 350 hybrids of which we probably only grow 20 regularly but trying to identify something down to a hybrid name is a lot more trickier uh, than trying to identify it as a genus or species um now, it's interesting because variety names don't have a, a fixed sort of um, rule like genus and species do. In essence, anyone can call a plant they've bred whatever they like. Um, and generally people do. They'll even name them after their favourite dog. Uh, they can name them after their wives or their partners. They can name them after uh, the place they live in. Uh, it could be anything. It could, they can even be really weird and wacky names based on something that they think the plant looks like. Um, now, the problem is, is you can name a plant that you think you've hybridized or you've grown from seed from a plant you've hybridized. But unless you register 
that name, it's not actually set as a hybrid that you can actually technically sell. And um, you can get in a quite a bit of um, trouble if you try and sell something that hasn't been registered because there'll be a lot of professional hybridizers out there in nurseries that are actually working on their own plants and if you start selling something that's similar to one that they have registered they can it can get a little bit tricky it's probably what we call a bit of a faux pas so if you're thinking about no. oh god well and and also just oh sorry oh no i need to butt in but i remember my when my my time at wisley if anything was going to get a botanist hot under the collar because we shared our our office space with the botanists it was when plants were given incorrect names or as you say somebody was trying to introduce something and they hadn't registered it and then it was being sold in the trade and uh, the, the 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 actual sort of standard identification of that plant was being diluted it it causes the industry massive massive problems as well so um yeah, I, I I completely concur. So I was just because I'm I'm having flashbacks to my time when when this would happen at Wisley and uh, with, and where we get out and you know you you the the debate in the the, the coffee um, uh, room in the morning was 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 uh, was 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 quite heated. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I, I tell you, for those who are involved in commercial horticulture, who, whose livelihoods depend on new plant introductions making sure that the variety or, or the name they have is secured to the plant that they have the rights to. So there's something called Plant Breeders' Rights, mm. PBR, which registers um, what who has the technical rights towards a named variety so that, A, they can either sell it themselves or they can um, disseminate it to more commercial nurseries and make sure that they're credited for having uh, that name. So if you want to register a variety, it's worth getting to know who has uh, the the book, as we call it, or the, or the register. Um, so lots of the different plant genuses um, have a register of known cultivated varieties, and they can be held. Generally, they're either held at some of the big organisations. So I know the RHS have a lot of the, the registers for new cultivars. I think you mentioned the daffodil registers there. I, I think the Dahlia registers at RHS as well. Um, it can also be held by um, individual societies or groups that specialise in uh, their, their set genus. So I know that um, Brugmansia Growers International, which is based in the US, they hold the international register for Brugmansia cultivars. And there's various other, uh, I think there's uh, various organisations have certain vegetable uh, rights over over naming and breeding as well yes, so yeah it's worth getting to know who has the registers and then generally they have set rules on to how you can register your own variety so they have things like you have to make sure that it comes true from seed if it's propagated by seed or if, that it, if it's a perennial or something that flowers year after year that it comes true every year um, before they're willing to give it a name and then they'll register the name onto their books. And then technically the plant that you have has that name. And then you can sort of do what you like with it. Lot, lots of people just register plants that they have just because they would like the name to be held in perpetuity. And they don't do anything with it. You know, it doesn't become a commercial thing. And 
generally some weird and wonderful varieties are only grown by one person but sometimes some varieties absolutely take off i know that um the digitalis is it firebird i forgot what the that really yes. famous yep. yeah it's firebird isn't it mm. that's really taken off as a popular variety and that was only bred a few years back so it's worth if you're going to name plants it's worth getting to know what your sort of rights and rules are just in case you don't want to annoy someone well and also if you see the letters pbr after a, a plant name it's actually illegal for you to propagate and sell that plant on because as i say the mm. plant Unless you've got the permission. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you do need to be very careful uh, that you're not um, sort of like they say breaking any rules or any any anything that can get you a fine in in that in that um, in that process. So so I, th- I think we've probably come to the end of our twenty minute chat on yeah, this. Yeah, hopefully we've now, answered Tufty's question I, as well as I'm we hope. Can. Like I say we did say it was a, a kind of complicated subject, and uh, essentially the in a nutshell. Plants are given names so we can identify them without question. And and that is, for the horticultural sector, that is absolutely paramount, fundamental importance. So, and as I say, hopefully in those, those last 20 minutes, we've explained the whys and wherefores of this. And uh, if anyone's got any other questions that they want to fire at us, then we can put them into a podcast uh, topic then please do do so on social media we we do love interacting with you and, and hearing from you it's 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 some of one of the joys we get from doing this podcast um and yeah hopefully that has become a lot clearer for you so that concludes today's podcast we hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us there is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.